Thank you, Pastor Jesse. Good morning. It is wonderful to be here together with you on the Lord's Day. To begin our sermon this morning, I want to introduce you to a dilemma that we all face in life. And this dilemma relates to how to frame choosing two different options. What I mean is this. Sometimes in life we're going to be forced with decisions that are either or. Either or. Let me give you an example. Now this is a funny example. And it's a personal example. So in life, every morning I'm confronted with the option of drinking coffee or decaf. For me, I feel quite strongly that that is an either-or decision. Drinking decaf is kind of like having a high-powered rifle and yet shooting blank rounds. My, <laughs> my choice always is going to be coffee, caffeinated coffee. So we have these either-or decisions. Now, other times... We have the option of both and. For me, I love beef. Where's my amen? Okay. This is South Dakota. We love beef. I love beef. And if you were to come to me and say, Chance, would you rather have a ribeye steak, grilled, medium rare? Pretty good, right? or Texas-style smoked brisket. If you were to ask me that, I would say, well, I'm not going to choose. Can I have both? Okay? So either or, both and. We, we, we are constantly confronted with these different types of options. And for this morning's topic of sanctification, what we're going to see in Philippians, Philippians 3.10 we are going to see that Paul addresses sanctification as a, not an either-or, but a both-and. Specifically, sanctification entails both victory, we have victory in the Christian life, and that is something to celebrate and have hope in. We have victory. But also, sanctification involves loss and defeat and struggle. Sanctification is not either victory or suffering. Sanctification, the process of growing in your relationship to Christ, that process is both victory and difficulty. So that's the large idea. That's where we're headed this morning. Let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 3.10. Philippians 310. Sanctification is the process of being saved. In the Christian life, there are three different aspects of salvation. I want to hammer this home. I want us to get this. There are three different aspects. There's the past tense, I was saved. That's referred to as justification. There's the process of being saved. Once God saves us, he's not done with us. 
all of human life is this journey, this eternal journey in knowing Christ that's called sanctification. And there's coming a point in time whenever God will raise our bodies from the dead and we will live with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's coming. That's referred to as glorification. We, were, we, we covered justification last week. We'll cover glorification next week. And this week we're covering, covering sanctification, the process of being saved, God's work in the life of a believer. And there's two points here that Paul teaches. Let's go ahead and read the passage before I go on to my points. 3.10, Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This passage, you can divide it in two parts. The first part refers to victory. It refers to knowing the power of his resurrection. The way I'm taking this passage, whenever Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, what I take Paul to be saying is this. To know Christ, what knowing Christ is, what sanctification is, is two parts. It's knowing the power of his resurrection. That's the first part. And it is sharing with Christ, second part, in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So there's two parts here. There's two points, two aspects of, of sanctification. So putting the first point into a, a title. This is, this is what I want you to write down. Sanctification, the process of becoming Christ-like, sanctification involves a crown. Sanctification involves a crown. Now, a crown is a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of power and authority. It is a good symbol. It is a pleasing symbol. We all want to, in some way, have a crown, a symbol of victory. And one day, the Bible says that when we are with Christ forever in our new bodies, that we will receive crowns on the basis of of our works here in this life. Our works do not save us, but they do matter in eternity. So one day we will receive a crown. This crown is a symbol of victory. In sanctification, we have victory. When God begins working on your heart as a Christian, you will experience victory and joy in Christ. Looking at the passage, Paul refers to this, quote, power of his resurrection that I may know him that I may know him in this process of sanctification what that looks like Paul is saying is knowing experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection now this word power is a very general term it refers to might or strength or capability or ability it's a general word. There are many powers in this life. My wife and I, with our children, bought some little powers the other day at the fireworks store and lit them off. We had a lot of fun doing that. You know, you pay $15. That's pretty much all I would spend on one firework. Maybe some of you spent more. You spend $15 on this one firework, and within 30 seconds, it's over, Right? But it's for the memories. You do it for the memories. And these fireworks have power, right? They, they explode and make these sounds. Now, fireworks aren't all that important. 
We think about fireworks maybe twice a year, on July 4th and New Year's. But other than that, there's really not much relevance in fireworks. And a power, powers are good, but what matters for a power with reference to you is whether that power has any relevance to your life. There are many things that are powerful in this world, but there are very few things that are powerful and relevant and that matter to you. And what we have in sanctification is not just a power, an ability, but it is an ability that is extremely relevant. The Bible teaches over and over again bread and butter basic Bible teaching. What separates you from God is your sins. You can't read the Bible and not come away with that idea. Sin is bad. And outside of Christ, we enjoy sin. We engage in sin. We live sinful lives. And what we need is a power that can overcome that allegiance. Sin is very relevant. Sin and death are very relevant. They are powers. And they control us, the Bible says. And they woo us. And they have influence on us. And we gravitate towards sin. We choose to engage in sinful behaviors. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. But when you come to Christ, there is a power that enters your life that severs that relationship with your sin. And then all in your Christian life, it is a growth and a gradual progression of God applying the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to your life. And that over time, gradually, progressively, patiently, what God does is he takes the same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead and by the Holy Spirit, he applies it to your life. And what you find is over time is that what you once delighted in, the sins that you once enjoyed, you're now disgusted by. The delight that you had in unrighteousness wanes. And what happens in your heart is that you want to love Christ. You want to give up these acts of sin and transgression because of the power that is residing in you on the basis of grace. That by the Holy Spirit, God dwells in the Christian and he sanctifies the Christian and progressively and surely God turns us from sin. This is not just a power that is irrelevant. This power of sanctification, this power that is available to the Christian and that is active in the life of a Christian is a highly relevant power. This is not some firework. This is God working in you repentance and faith in bringing you away from sin and to Christ. Chris Tomlin, a contemporary Christian musician, he has this song that illustrates what I'm saying. 
I like a number of Chris Tomlin's songs. One of his songs is called Resurrection Power. Resurrection Power. So in this passage, Paul is talking about that in a Christian's life, there is a power that delivers a person, a Christian, from their sins that is the same power that was active in raising Christ from the dead. That's what Paul is saying. Listen to what Chris Tomlin says in his in his song. I'm not going to sing it. You do not want me to sing it. I'm just going to read it. You called me from the grave by name. You called me out of all of my shame. I see the old has passed away. The new has come. Now I have resurrection power, living on the inside. Jesus, you have given us freedom. No longer no longer bound by sin and darkness, living in the light of your goodness, you have given us freedom. That's what Paul is saying here. In sanctification, we have victory. In sanctification, God is at work in you, dear Christian, to take you away from sin and put you on Christ to have your identity not be yourself but Christ. And this is the power that is available and real in the Christian life. This is a real power. If you find yourself gravitating away from sin and to Christ, it's because of this power by the Holy Spirit. Now there is a application for this point, not just a general discussing what Paul is saying theologically, but an application. And this is the way I I want to apply it. Let's say you're having a conversation with a fellow friend, and this friend claims to be a Christian. And you begin sharing with them some of the ways in which this resurrection power is manifesting itself in your life. You're sharing with another Christian your love for Christ. What a wonderful thing to share with other people. We we have to do this as a body. We have to share with other Christians what God is doing in our lives. And you're talking to your friend and you notice that your friend is beginning to get uncomfortable. And then you change the conversation and you ask them, how is the Lord working in your life? What is the Lord doing in your life? How is the resurrection power that we have as Christians, how is that working in your life? And this is how your friend responds. Well, you know, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Have you heard that before? Anytime you start talking about holiness, People say, no one's perfect. Dear friends, I contend this morning that this statement, while true, it is true, it is absolutely true that we, so long as we live in these bodies, will sin. I affirm that totally. But what is also true is that what is available to the believer is a power that has raised Christ from the dead. And the statement 
no one's perfect, is an excuse. And it is an excuse for complacency. Well, no one is perfect is the mantra of complacent Christianity. If you start living for Christ, if you are on fire for Christ and you want to see other people come to know him the way that you do, you might run into this. Dear friend, you might have said this at one time as a way to defend yourself against the power of his resurrection. And dear friend, we need to repent of this type of complacency. If you have a very powerful firework and you light it, you ought not to be complacent about that. You ought not to be complacent. That is an extreme power in your hand. How much more the power of Christ's resurrection living in us? You can't be complacent. You can't make excuses. In light of what Paul says here, you cannot make excuses for your lack of sanctification. We must see this power. We must behold it. And we must respond to it by repenting of our complacency. That's our first point for sanctification. It involves a crown, victory, power, authority, deliverance, freedom. This is my second point, dear church. Sanctification involves a cross. Sanctification involves a cross. First point, sanctification involves a crown. Second point, sanctification involves a cross. It's not either or. Sanctification is not all victory and sanctification is not all suffering. It is both. In sanctification, in the process of growing to be more Christ-like, we will experience both victory and struggle. We're on this struggle point. Sanctification involves a cross. Looking at verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Sanctification involves experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection. But it also includes, I want you to see, there is an and here. There is an and. Sanctification involves victory, a crown, and it involves sharing in Christ's sufferings. It entails becoming like Christ in his death. Taking this first phrase, I want you to see it does not just say, Paul does not just say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in sufferings. There's a word attached to sufferings that is very important. What is that word? It is his. In sanctification, What Paul is saying here is that in sanctification, what happens is that you will experience difficulty. You will experience trial. But in light of your union with Christ by the Holy Spirit, those sufferings and difficulties that you're experiencing 
are interpreted here as Jesus' own sufferings and difficulties. In the Christian life, we never suffer alone. What we suffer is that which Christ himself suffered. God became a man in order to identify with us and sympathize with us. What you are experiencing, the difficulties, dear Christian, are the same difficulties that Christ himself experienced. There is a difference, yes. But are you lonely? Are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you discouraged? Are you suffering bodily pain? Christ experienced all of that. And in sanctification, our suffering isn't just ours. It's Christ's. And in this process of suffering, what happens is that we fellowship with Christ in the difficulty. Looking at verse 10 again. You see this word share and may share his sufferings. This word for share, the Greek word is koinonia. The reason why I mention that is koinonia is oftentimes used in the New Testament to reference fellowship. And here Paul is saying he's talking about participation, sharing. Let's say you and your family are having a meal and you have all of your family over and you're having a wonderful time at the dinner table. You're eating and you're enjoying each other's company. What is happening right there? There's more going on than just eating, although that is happening. There's more than eating. There's something untouchable. There's something abstract going on. It is a culture and an atmosphere of love and acceptance and kindness and joy. There is this culture, this untouchable culture that is going on, that you love one another and that you love to share in a meal with other people. It's more than eating. And what Paul is saying here is that in sanctification, what happens is that Christ and us, Christ and us share a meal. And that meal is difficulty and trial. But what goes on in that relationship is more than just that. We commune with Christ through that. That pain and difficulty, suffering and trial take on a whole new meaning in light of the gospel. And that you never suffer alone. Ever. And that all of your difficulty is intended for you to know Christ and love him more. To fellowship, to share with him, to have him give you his love and his mercy and his joy and his peace. That's what Paul is saying here. It's a mystical reality. And then Paul says, becoming like him in his death. Sanctification involves sharing with Christ in his suffering and sanctification involves becoming like him in his death. Now this statement, becoming like him in his death, is hard to interpret. I'm not sure exactly what Paul is saying here. It could refer to Paul's own belief that he is actually on his way to martyrdom. It could refer to baptism. 
In baptism, we are conformed to the image of Christ and his death. It could mean a number of things. The way I want to take it is just broadly. In sanctification, we experience difficulty. If you are a Christian, that will not save you from physical death. You will still have to go through that. And in that process, the Bible is teaching, Paul is teaching here, is that God brings about a work in us that we begin looking like Christ as we enter into death. But it's referring to difficulty broadly. That's the way I want to take it. In sanctification, we experience difficulty. Now, to give an illustration, it's hard describing what Paul is saying here. This is difficult. And the reason why it's difficult is that it's spiritual and mystical. It's hard to put your hands on it and exactly see what it is. I think I can help, though, illustrate with this, illustrate this with a story. A story. A story from my life. A story from my life that and when I fellowshiped with Christ in his sufferings. To describe the story, we need to go back to college, my freshman year of college. I was 18. It was the first time I was away from home. And I live about three hours away from where I grew up. And I went to play soccer. I was on, I did athletics. And as I've shared before from this pulpit, I was saved at the age of 18, right before I went to college. So I went into college having Christian convictions. Before that, I was just a hypocrite. But as I entered into my freshman year, I I had committed to the Lord that I was going to live for Him. That was a very difficult year. It was a year of considerable loneliness and being isolated. All of my friends should have been on on the soccer team. That's who I spent the most time with. But my teammates drank sin like water. And I wasn't going to live that way. And so what that meant was that I was isolated from my teammates. I was lonely. And I would be made fun of. And I was an underclassman. That's just a difficult experience in general. But it was very trying for my faith. And to give one story specifically. One night, I I, I was sleeping. I think it was a Saturday night. And I shared a, a room with a roommate. This roommate was an upperclassman. He was a junior. I was a freshman. And this roommate was on the soccer team with me. And as I was sleeping late at night, he proceeded to come in the room inebriated with a a girl. And I was on the bottom bunk and he proceeded to go to the top bunk and do inappropriate things. And as I was laying there, I was utterly humiliated. Just shame that this was happening. And I wasn't as bold then as I am now. I didn't say anything. I should have said something, but I didn't. And I was humiliated. And I said to the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? I'm living for you, and why am I going through this? I live for you, and yet this happens. 
I'm humiliated. So that's the suffering part. It's kind of the difficulty that I had. There are more stories, but that suffices to kind of paint this picture of difficulty. So there's that. But I also want to, that's not the whole story. So also in college, this freshman year, I had some of the deepest intimacy with Christ that I've ever had. Imagine with me going on a walk, it's about seven o'clock at night. This is in northern Florida, it's very, lots of trees everywhere. And I'm walking through the campus. And I'm praying. I'm praying. And I'm telling the Lord how I feel. I'm telling the Lord of my humiliation, of my loneliness, of my difficulty. I'm bearing my heart to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm hurting. And what the Lord fills me with, what the Lord tells me, not audibly, but by the Spirit through the Word, is He tells me that He loves me. He tells me that He cares for me. He tells me that He is in control and that regardless of the difficulty I'm having, that he accepts me and that he loves me and that he communicates to me his love and his forgiveness and his grace. That's what Paul is talking about here. In difficulty, dear friend, it will be painful. Sanctification involves this sharing with Christ and his sufferings. But what happens is that we commune with Jesus through the difficulty of life, what God does for the Christian is he strips us from our allegiance to this world. And he shows us and he gives to us Christ. And we know Christ and we fellowship with him in a mystical yet very real way. And the way I want to apply this is simply by way of reminder and encouragement. When we experience difficulty, we, also, we oftentimes ask what God is doing. Now sometimes in life, the difficulty that we experience is a result of our sin. If you make a bad sinful choice, you could suffer severe consequences. But also, you can be a God-honoring Christian who makes decisions to love Jesus Christ and yet you still experience difficulty and suffering. That is real. And when you do, I want to remind you here that part and parcel of sanctification is knowing Christ through difficulty. If you're experiencing difficulty, if you're lonely, if you're sad, if you're afraid, if you're suffering bodily pain and you're honoring the Lord in your life, God has you right where he wants you. It might not be where you want to be, but it is where God wants you because in that difficulty and in that pain, you commune with Christ and you know him. And dear friends, there's nothing better 
than knowing Christ. Don't be discouraged. Have hope. Be encouraged. That in light of the gospel, in light of sanctification, we fellowship and share with Christ through his sufferings. And that his sufferings become our own. And that through that, we become more like Christ. Pray with me. Gracious Father, Lord, we lift up our hearts to you and we ask for your rebuke of our complacency. We ask that we would be confronted with this truth of the power of Christ's resurrection living in the life of a Christian. And Lord, we would see that and be convicted and we would stop making excuses for our complacency in the Christian life. Lord, and for the, the suffering and for the suffering Christian who struggles, I pray, Father, that they would see the intent of, of, of suffering here. That they would commune with Christ and that they would know in a deep, abiding way that Christ loves them and that Christ died for them and that they are secure in him. Father, fill us with this knowledge. Fill us with this understanding by your spirit. Complete your work in us and bring about your good work through us. We pray these things in Christ's name and by the power of the spirit. Amen.